Our text tonight is verse 17. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. And here in these words, we have the last gospel call in the Scriptures. And not until the trumpet sounds and the end of the world comes will we have another gospel word from God. The Bible is the word of God, and here in Revelation 22, we come to the very end of all that God has to say to us in this life. And if people will not listen to what God says in the Bible, they will never know what God is saying to them. To despise the Bible is to despise God himself. To be ignorant of the Bible is to be ignorant of God. But here we have this final call, as it were, God commanding, God calling sinners to come and to receive the amazing blessings of everlasting life. Do you know, friends, when we meet together like this, if we are believers, we are witnessing to the grace of Jesus Christ. We are proclaiming openly in the sight of heaven before angels, God and men, that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is our Savior, that he is our Lord, and that our only hope of acceptance with God in life and in death, and that we are waiting for his coming in great glory. You know, we are proclaiming Jesus Christ and him crucified, risen again in triumph, ascended, exalted, ruling, reigning, and one day to return. And just remarkable that in the kindness of God, even at the very end of this vital divine book, there is a call to those who as of yet do not know the Savior. You know, maybe there are those here this night who are amongst the Lord's people physically, but they're not yet amongst us spiritually. You know, maybe you've come and you're seeking after the Lord, but you're unsure, you're uncertain how you can know him. Well, friend, here is this precious word which comes to you this night, this last gospel call. The question is, are you thirsty? You know, here is the, the water of life and Christ himself bids you to come and drink. What a glorious prospect. And for those of us who know him, we, we should never stop looking to the Savior and, and coming to him in that way. And this direction is repeated three times in case you missed it. Come, come, come. That is it. Over and over again. And so let's look at this verse together. Firstly, this gospel call, this gracious invitation and command to sinners to come. You know, you find that throughout the Bible. You know, you find that these challenges come to be clear about where you stand with the Lord. You know, one of the earliest challenges in this regard comes from Moses. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, he says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life. There is a, a clarity about that. There is a simplicity about that. You know, the Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 9, that the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so God sets before us this way to life, to heaven, for all eternity. And you know, heaven is not the only destination in eternity. We have to be clear about that. There is also a hell which awaits all who reject the Lord Jesus Christ, all those who are outside of his kingdom. And, you know, as we consider this world in which we're in, we, we find ourselves in a world that is ruined and fallen and broken by sin. 
and there's, there's evil all around us and evil within us. There are the blessings of God to be known, but there's also the curse of God which is evident. And with all these things in mind, the fact that there is heaven and hell, blessing and curse, life and death, Moses pleads, choose life. That's the exhortation. And it comes to us this night, ultimately, from God himself. Choose life. You know, you can go a little further in the Old Testament to Joshua. Came a little bit after Moses. And towards the end of Joshua's life and ministry and leadership, he gave a great challenge to the people. Joshua 24, 15. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. You know, there is God and heaven and glory and life and peace, but there are other things as well. You know, and you have to be clear where you are. You're either running after one or the other. You can't have both. The Bible is very clear. You can't serve two masters. You can't have God and mammon. And so that challenge that is there in the Old Testament comes to each one of us. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Joshua, of course, says and knows the way in which he was going. He says, as for me, as for my house, we will serve the Lord. There's that clear distinction. You go on a little bit further in the Old Testament. Think of Elijah, that great and mighty prophet. And he drew a very clear distinction between following the Lord and false gods. 1 Kings 18 verse 21. How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. In other words, you can't have it both ways. You know, how long will you delay? How long will you try and avoid what is so clear? If the Lord is God, choose him, serve him, follow him. But if some other God is God, if the world is better, you know, then don't hesitate. Don't falter. Don't be confused in your mind. You know, some people are always shifting around and faltering. They're, they're never clear. You can never quite pin them down. And the problem is that such hesitation can have devastating consequences when you come to the matters of eternity. And Elijah says, settle the matter. Are you for God or are you against him? If you think the world is better and you want to run after the world, go and all the best to you, even though it is a doomed decision. But as for me and for those who are truly the people of God, we know that the Lord is the only God and we will serve him. It's interesting, if you were to read 1 Kings 18, you would see that God demonstrated his reality and power and he devoured the entire sacrifice and altar in the presence of his enemies. And the people fell down on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. You know, you go a little bit further on, another great prophet, a few more years along, Isaiah. Right at the outset of that wonderful portion of the word of God, you have this great call and invitation from the Lord. Some of you will be very familiar with the words. Isaiah 1.18, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You know, it's so staggering because that's the Lord speaking. What a gracious God he is. You know, even though our sins are like scarlet, even though they're glaring, God himself has made a way back. He has made a way in which those sins can be washed away. There can be a cleansing and he bids us to come. 
That's the way Isaiah puts this wonderful thing. And it comes to us tonight, that call to come and know the blessings of Christ and the glory to come. You know, you think even of the Lord Jesus himself and the way in which this, this pardon and deliverance is all bound up in him, but the way that he too declared these wonderful gospel calls and invitations, Matthew 11, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You know, he calls sinners to knowing him grace and peace and comfort and salvation and forgiveness. Such is the love and the mercy of the Lord. You know, there are so many more gospel calls and commands in the word of God. But the one that we find here, as I said, is the very last. And in one sense, that, that makes it sort of very poignant and very moving. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. Let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Now, friends, as you look at that text, please notice who it is that is giving this gospel call. The spirit and the bride. Who is the spirit? Well, it's none other than the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the glorious, everlasting Godhead. And as he draws the, the revelation of Scripture to a close, the, the revelation of which he is the author, he turns back, as it were, to this poor, dying world, and he gives this final, urgent gospel call. This final appeal before the revelation is sealed. Listen all, he says, I am the Spirit of God and my call to you is to come. And then there's another voice here. The bride. Who is the bride? Well, the bride is the name that we give to the true church of Jesus Christ. The true church bought with the Redeemer's blood. You know, there are many churches in this world and sadly there are many that are not true churches. How do you know a true church? Well, a true church is one that preaches Jesus Christ and him crucified according to the scriptures. Preaches the whole counsel of God, stays close to the word, pursues holiness, loves the Lord and one another. All those marks. But the church is the bride of Christ, the one who's to be married to him when the trumpet sounds and the dead is raised and there'll be the marriage supper of the Lamb. Here is the bride who will marry Christ, the great bridegroom, and what is the church declaring? Well, the same as the Spirit, to come and see the, the consistency of that gospel witness. And you say, well, what about these others? You know, what about those who hear? They, they say, come as well. Who are they? Well, they are converts to Christ. Those who are brought by grace to be part of the bride. Those who hear and believe, who follow the truth, who've been granted to hear that joyful sound that Jesus saves. And so you have these witnesses. It is a, a well-publicized call, the external call of the gospel. You know, my dear friends, this invitation is as given by the Spirit of God, issued by the Church of Christ, shown to the world by every convert from the first day of history until now. That is the weight and the gravity with which this call comes this night. And I hope that you're listening. And I hope that you take to heart this call, but it speaks to each one of us. Whoever desires will come. It's all of grace. God enables us to come, and there is that lovely drawing. 
And as general as that call is, it comes to us as individuals. It is personal to us. You know, here we are in the purposes of God. And we are being confronted once again with this clear invitation to life. And the Spirit of God has set these things in place for you. The Church of Christ declares it to you. You have the testimony of the countless number that have believed, having heard this gospel message. I wonder, do we understand what is taking place, what we are engaged with this night? It's not just a a service to come to. Not just another sermon. A divine appointment. You know, as you hear this external call, the words, may God be at work to give that internal call in your heart by his grace. And that confirming call, that, that reality that we are the Lord's as we hear these great truths again. So there is that gospel call. Then I want you to see the gift, the gift that is given. You know, this gospel call points people to the incredible gift of salvation in the Lord Jesus. You know, in our text, it's described like this. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. And so the gift is the water of life. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, it is made clear to us in the Lord's dealings with the woman of Samaria at the well in John 4. So if you will, turn back to John 4, and we'll just spend a few moments looking at our Lord's engagement with this woman at the well. And actually, what we find here is that it's very simple to understand what is meant by the water of life. Now, in that wonderful account, the Lord Jesus says to her in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, she doesn't know what he's talking about. She thought it was some way of quenching thirst without having to go to all the trouble of physically drawing from the well. Now, of course, she's interested in that. Verse 15, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. But the Lord Jesus is speaking spiritually. And the water that he is speaking of is God himself and all the the blessings that he gives. You say, well, how do you know that that is the meaning? Well, the Bible tells us. You know, don't take my word for it or anyone else's unless it's grounded in the word of God. This water refers to God. Jesus says that this water quenches our thirst so we will never thirst again. You know, that has to be the Lord, dear friends, because nothing can satisfy our hearts fully apart from God. You know, there is the great thirst of the soul, a thirst that can only be satisfied by God himself. And you know, that is true. That is true, and it's a reality that all of us face. And when we are brought to know God through Christ, to know the Lord, then the restlessness in our hearts is dealt with. We know that peace. You know, think of Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. The stillness of heart is what only God can give. You know, nothing can satisfy the human heart, only God. And so when Jesus tells this woman of Samaria that if she drinks of this living water, she'll never thirst again, he is saying that her heart thirst will only be quenched by knowing God. You know, to to have that right relationship with God, to know him as Savior, 
Do you know the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, all of those things, the living and true water. You know, we see it at the beginning of that passage in Revelation that we read together, Revelation 22. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It's a wonderful image. All the blessings of eternal life, all the mercies of which God is so full, he will fill our hearts with all joy and peace in believing. He will satisfy us with his own gracious image renewed in the heart. He will grant to us that sense of his love, the love of Christ that passes knowledge in its length and breadth and depth and height. He will cause us to know what it is to have joy unspeakable and full of glory. You know, to have that, that good hope through grace, to know that our sins are forgiven, that he loves us, and that he'll take us to heaven at last. If we have trusted in God, that is the water that we drink, and we are never thirsty again. You know, we should never forget the wonders of that living water. You know, people all around us, they are searching desperately for happiness, for satisfaction. And they don't find it because they look in all the wrong places. You know, some look for it in money, you know, status, being rich and famous. But, you know, it's not true. They can never find it. And we must never believe those images constructed on social media or presented in all the, the glossy magazines and all the rest. Don't imagine that wealth satisfies the empty heart. You know, you see it in Hollywood, all the glitz and the glamour, you know, all the opulence and the extravagance. And yet for all those momentary thrills, you scratch beneath the surface and you see the true extent of the brokenness and the sadness. You know, it's not only there, it's true in all walks of life. You know, people are not happy, nor will they ever be unless they drink of this water of life. The tragedy is that so often as the Lord's people, we forget that too. And we don't look to him for those blessings. But the reality is there. It's so clear before us. Now, if you look back at John 4, this woman is brought to drink that water of which the Lord Jesus spoke. And when she was given to believe in Christ and received the blessing of life in him, she forgot all about the physical water in the well. In fact, it says that she left her bucket there and she ran as fast as she could to go and tell the people. John 4, 29, Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And you know, what's even more amazing is that many heard her and they went to seek the Lord Jesus for themselves. And we're told later on in verse 39 of John 4, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. You know, when God intervenes, when God enables you to find the water of life, your heart is filled. You know, the longings of your heart, that, that great joy, full of glory in Christ. You know, the Lord's people have been immeasurably blessed to be given such a wonderful gift. You know, and if you're here tonight and you don't know that, our prayer for you is that you would. And that you would taste of these things, that this precious gift is there for you. Whoever takes. You know, you may have been in many church services, but you have, if you've never tasted and seen these things for yourself, then you've missed it. There's got to be that personal appropriation of the Lord Jesus. You know, if you're here tonight and you've not known these things, 
You've never come to the Lord Jesus for yourself. Our text impresses itself upon you. Let me ask you, do you not long to know that life? To be right with God. Here it is laid before you this night. You know, if you will turn from your sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the time is now. And you've been granted the health and strength to be here, to come to the house of God. And you know, we have to be clear. Who knows if we will ever see one another's faces again? And so do you have that peace and that stillness in your heart because you're right with God and you know him? Now is the time. The gospel call, the gift that is given. And then lastly, how do I get this living water? You know, what am I to do? If this is life and this is set before me, how do I get it? Well, in our text back in Revelation 22, there are some very simple instructions. You know, gracious instructions to come and to take. To come and to take. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. Let him who thirsts, come. And to take, whoever desires, let him take of the water freely. To come and take. It's so simple to understand. In his remarkable grace and mercy, God lays this wonderful redemption before us in such simple terms that no one can miss it. And so let's look. We must come. To come means to leave one place and to arrive at another. It means to take a journey with your heart and mind to really think on what God tells us about himself and about ourselves in his word. Let me help you to do that for a moment. Firstly, you've got to come, as it were, to your own heart. You know, if only I could show you your heart as it really is. The Bible says that our hearts are are wicked and deceitful and corrupt. And if you're truly an honest person, you'll know that that is the way that you really are. And so we have to face that when God says come, we have to come to an understanding of who we are, that we are sinners before a holy God. Why? Because unless we come to see our true condition as lost and ruined, we will never come to see how great our need for the Savior is, how great our need for mercy is. It's interesting, the Lord Jesus did exactly that with the woman of Samaria. You know, he took her on a journey, as it were, in his conversation with her so that she would see her true condition. And he did it by exposing the many broken relationships that she had engaged in and the fact that she had five husbands and was currently with a man who was not her husband. Now, not everyone is in that situation, but we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. We are all unfit for God as far as his blessing or for heaven. That is where we must begin. Our sense of need. I wonder, dear friend, do you have any sense of that need in your life? Do you realize how great that need is, especially if you're outside of Christ. We must firstly come to our own hearts. And then we must be brought and come to see that there is such a thing as death and judgment and eternity. You know, too often we we go through this life and we think we have time. You know, we can put off the big issues, the deep questions. You know, for those young people here tonight, we can't be sure that we're going to have a long life to live. You know, the whole scope of history, our life is over in a moment. You know, time seems to speed by as you get older. 
We can remember our younger years as though they were yesterday. You know, if you ask those who are older even than I am, you know, they feel like life has just vanished in a moment. You know, it'll be the same with you. You know, if God spares you, our, our life is going out of this existence so very quickly. And so therefore I say, come and remember that very soon you and I must stand before God in the judgment day. How will you do? You know, how will you get on? What is your hope before God? So we must come to see that there is such a thing as death and judgment and eternity. And then we must come to Calvary. We must come to the cross. We must come to the place where Jesus Christ was dying to atone for sin and remember how greatly our Lord suffered there. To see, as it were, with the eyes of faith, the way they nailed him to the cross and the way that they spat in his face and cursed him and hated him. The way they shook their heads at him and taunted him, saying, if you're the Son of God, save yourself. Come down from the cross. And they shouted at him and they mocked him. And then see the blood flowing down from his head and his hands and his feet. And ask yourself, why is he there? Why did he suffer these things? He was the, the son of God. He was the Messiah, as he said himself to the woman of Samaria. Why then did Messiah, the son of God, suffer in this way? Why did he not come down from the cross and destroy all his enemies as he so easily could have done? The answer you know already. If he was to save sinners like us, he himself must suffer and die. And he died the just for the unjust to bring us to God. It was for sinners like me that he hung and suffered there. The judgment of God fell upon him for my sake and for yours if you will believe. He was cut off the land of the living for the transgression of God's people. It was the love and mercy of God to bruise him that we might have a bleeding sacrifice to trust him that he might be our saviour, that he might be our Lord. You know, had there been no crucifixion, there would have been no living water for us to drink this night. I wonder, do you realise the state of your own heart? Do you realise the shortness of your own life? Do you realise the need that you have of Christ to wash you and cleanse you by his blood, to cleanse you from all sin, to clothe you in his righteousness, so that you can be accepted with God. It is for these reasons that this text was written to issue this gospel call to show us this wondrous gift of salvation in Christ, which says to us, come. And then we must take. We must come and we must take. Without that appropriating of Christ for ourselves, we miss it all. You can know the facts of the gospel and not be saved. You need to believe it for yourself. There's no good in coming anywhere unless you get the good of going. You know, think of it. What is the good of going to the dentist if you turn back and don't get the treatment you need? What's the good of going to the doctor if you walk into the reception room and then walk out again without being treated? It's a waste of time. Don't waste your lifetime by simply coming to hear the gospel preached, which is fine, it's good, but you need to take the blessing of it, which is God in Christ. 
reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. Believe this word of reconciliation that God made Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. They're incredible words. We cannot earn it. We cannot buy it. This salvation is freely given by sovereign grace. And we are enabled to come and to take what God has given to believe in Jesus Christ and know that immeasurable blessing of being saved. You know, we long that you would to come and take by God's grace to repent and believe. The question is, have you done it? Have you done it? Are you the Lord's this night? Are you sheltering in the Savior's side? Because when you drink of that living water, you'll never be the same again. You know, others will see it too. And when they ask you what has happened, you know, you can say that you've, you've had a drink, but it's not the, the water of death that the world offers. It's the water of life. That you've drunk deeply of those wells of salvation. You are reconciled to God. You've got life. And the longing of your heart has been satisfied. Drink deeply of Christ and you'll never thirst again. Not in this life or for all eternity. As a wonderful verse, Revelation 7, 17. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Do you know that's your future if you're in Christ? That eternal living fountain and it should thrill our hearts and there is none but Christ that can satisfy. And I pray that you will be able to say with us, no other name for me, because I've found that there is peace and love and lasting joy, Lord Jesus, found in thee. Don't drink from those empty cisterns of this world anymore. You come and you take and you drink deeply of this water of life in Christ. Know what it is to be saved. Nothing compares the final call of the gospel May it be that you hear and that you hear and believe and all to the praise of his name. Amen.